I've been here many times before and I've never been defeated and still I will never be defeated. It's Jay. And this is Chuck. What's up, everyone? My name is Jay. America has number 46. And they also have the kick game for all kick games. Kamala Harris bringing those sneakers to the White House. What up, Chuck? What's up, people? What's up, Jay? Um, this is Chuck coming to you again for another episode. I mean, I don't know what, what's on Kamala Harris's feet. I couldn't give a damn. Thank God it's not Trump in the White House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Into the matters at hand. Hmm. Wow, I'm the one hitting this off, right? So, yep. Arsenal were utterly dominated, if I'm being quite frank, by Aston Villa at home. 3-0, ultimately the scoreline. And we're not hearing quite as much fire around Arteta. Should we be hearing as, as, as much criticism around Arteta as we hear on Oli? Is there a double standard? Is he getting a pass? <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I think he is getting a pass. Um, because we're talking about a manager who's a defending champion of the FA Cup, for goodness sake. He won something. You, you need to at least maintain the standard. You were beating Chelsea's and, 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 and Cities and stuff. But I think to to, to lesser, lesser extent, it's warranted because he hasn't spent as much money as Oli, nor has he spent as much money as Lampard. He hasn't been in the job as long as Oli and uh, as long as in the job as, as, as Lampard. I think what, what, what helps Oteta is that People can clearly see what he's trying to do with the team, whereas with Oli, um, with Frank, still, he's still aren't quite sure what Bayern's on the team. You know, they've signed people; they've probably taken the best possible option available in those particular positions, but what their imprint is on the team, you don't quite know. So I think that's why people have laid off uh, Arteta. But after last night's performance, I don't think we should. So Manchester United are a point behind Arsenal. With a game in hand, mm-hmm. which suggests, well, there's no guarantee that Manchester United are going <laughs> to win that game in hand, nor even draw that game actually. But in in the interest of advancing this, this my point: if Manchester United have a positive result in that game, after everything that we've heard, after everything that we've heard from every corner, even from this podcast, from my own mouth about Oli. If that team then is either on equal points or ahead of that Arsenal team, you have to look at the Arsenal manager. And the reason I say that is because if Arteta does take the 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 shine, if he's if he's the reason for the turnaround at Arsenal, if there has been a turnaround for that matter, then he also then should bear the brunt of some of the criticism that should be labeled against his team. Because in that game against Aston Villa, I mean, sure, Aston Villa did beat Liverpool 7-2. Shock result. But then they, they, they come from the last two results where they've conceded four against against um, Southampton and they conceded three without reply against Leeds United. So then they come to Arsenal and Arsenal look like they just, they just wet their bed in that match. At no point did it ever look like Arsenal were actually going to mount a challenge in that match. And you say... And I've said this and everyone says this. You can see what Ateta is doing at Arsenal. You can see the philosophy, mm-hmm, right? Mm. The criticism against Oli is that you're not quite sure what exactly he's doing with the team. Yeah, you can see what Ateta is doing. 
But then if you can see what the manager is doing, but it's not working, then is that not reason to say, well, what is plan B if there is a plan B? What happens if this this thing that you are trying to put across is not quite coming coming together? I think I think with Arteta, the one thing that is in his favor is that for 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 ages, the issue with Arsenal was Arsenal don't have a spine. They don't have that solid central midfielder. They don't have that solid central defender, and he's somewhat figured a way where they they are strong and they're not flimsy or weak when when people come at them, and they are now solid. Which they're not just throwing bodies forward in attack at every single game because of the opposition. Now then they're playing each game according to its merits and then they'll take the chances as they come. But as you're saying, Uti, now we're seeing Uti's not working. I mean, last season when he when he was finishing off the season, it was more of a rescue job, basically. Um, he took over from Emre and it was on some, let's try save face and let's try build and let's develop an identity and a culture. And now we're looking now into this new season, Uti, has it worked? Um, start off the season with a 3-0 win, and you think, okay, Arsenal left goals. Uh, Bomeyang's looking good, William is looking good. But since then, they haven't quite looked good as an attacking force. And I think then we can say, we've seen what you've done, but is there more? We've seen that you've made the team solid, but can the team now score? I think that's the one criticism that we're actually looking at, Uti. You've got the most potent, one of the most potent strikers in the league. He's only scored one, two goals. I don't know how many, but not enough. And in terms of the makeup of the team, right? Yeah. I mean, your favorite Arsenal player is the one Free who Uzo. has the capabilities to add something that the team as presently constructed doesn't have. And for reasons as we went in, into it that I we think are deeper than just a matter of he's not putting across the right kind of effort and training or there the may be a fallout to the manager but even if there's a fallout to the manager it is the manager's job to actually try repair those relations so that you can get the player the talent out on the pitch doesn't really matter what happens to you when you go your separate ways after your careers case in point Roy Keane has not spoken to Sir Alex Ferguson since he departed <laughs> Manchester United because he doesn't see a reason to but when they were in, in, in the same locker room they they managed to put their egos aside or whatever it is to pull in the same direction and ultimately if you're trying to win that's what you need to do you need to get everybody on board and you need to be on board as much as you can with your players not really advocating for Uzo to come back into the team because I, I think we should have sold him a long time ago but with no options the coach needs to be looked at that what are you doing about that situation the other thing for me is Ateta is the one who who if if he's getting again if he's getting praise for bringing Gabriel into the team right then the transfer policy then falls on him as well to some degree when it turns out negative he brought William into the Arsenal team <laughs> anyone with a pair of eyes no understands why Chelsea did not want to give William an extra year if William was only asking for one more year from Chelsea Chelsea were offering two years and he wanted a three-year contract and Chelsea did not want to give it to him do you know who else didn't want to give it to him every other team in the EPL but Arteta looked at that man and was like, this is probably one of the players that we are missing to be a little more dynamic. Are you serious? He's ultimately the one who made that call because they must have asked him in terms of, okay, here's the budget. Sure, Arsenal, we're not, we're not doling out the cash in, in huge amounts. Here's the budget and who these are the players who are available. Arsenal should have beaten Aston Villa last season, relegated them and signed Jack Grealish. That didn't happen. He's, he came back to the Emirates to haunt Arsenal. But William is playing in the team. 
I'm not a big fan of Pepe as well. I've said this like time and again on on this podcast, but Pepe is a better option. Anyone is a better option than Willian. The fact that Arteta then sometimes plays Willian through the center and he doesn't play Aubameyang through the center when he can see his main man up top is struggling, that is something also that falls on him. Now I'm not going to say he, he he he's a bad manager suddenly or he should get fired or like calling for his job or anything like that because ultimately he did win a trophy. At the in in the first what twenty five games of his managerial career at Arsenal, and we have seen some of those improvements. But also, if you take a deep dive into what happened towards the end of last season, Arsenal were still with a with a shot to actually challenge for a top four place when he took over. It never quite got there, never quite got there, and, and the problems that you could see initially have persisted. The fact that Aubameyang is not scoring. Not entirely Arteta's fault because Aubameyang was scoring without Uzo in that team, without a creative force. Suddenly he's not scoring. That falls on Aubameyang to some extent as well. He wasn't playing centrally last season, but he was scoring goals. He's still not playing centrally and he's not even managing shots on target. 90 minutes on the pitch and you can't even get a shot on target. You're a striker. You are the main goal contributor. Has to be better. You know, that's not on the manager, but on his part, if his striker is struggling, don't insist on playing William. Don't insist on playing like I said through the middle. Look, here's what I, here's what I, I'm going to say about this. <clears throat> it's it's dawned on me now um, when they were criticizing um, Oli and Arteta that the difference is Oli's been a manager for ten years, um, stint at Cardiff, a lot of time in Sweden, not Sweden, um, Denmark, where, Norway. Where, Norway. Yeah, one of those Scandinavian countries. There we go. 10 years in the job, where with Arteta, this is his first gig. And then you can see Uguti, when he faces such issues, because when he was under Pep Guardiola, he never had a problem scoring. Scoring City always had goals for days. Now it's a problem that he has to now sort out. And to your point, Uguti, Bamiyan was scoring without Ozil. That's true. But he had people like Ceballos uh, playing more regularly and uh, who's Genduzi was there when he was good. He was a good box-to-box player. But now you've got the Elnenis and the Shakas and you're asking yourself, who's going to supply the ball? Because when you look at Arsenal's lineup, basically everything falls on the front three. William, Lacazette and Aubameyang. No one else is there to provide a, 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 a creative spark. And that, that, does, that does, for me, uh, need, 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 sorry, it raises questions that need to be answered. If you then will omit Ozil, say, we don't need your creative influence, we are fine without you. What is your plan B? Show us your hand. Show us the ace that you have up, up your sleeve because you can't omit a guy who's created two and a half chances each game under your care since you got there. And then you don't register the, the guy and then your, your creativity goes to zero. I mean, we're talking about those matches. Like, for instance, against United, you guys only created two chances. And even from there, you scored from a penalty. Which shows that you weren't stellar against United. You, you managed to beat United because you were solid, but you weren't stellar. And it shouldn't be a surprise that you guys were flat against uh, against uh, Grealish's side, Aston Villa, as well. So the thing is, Oli Oli had had in his in his in his favor. He had results and not performances because Namanja Sarotti, how good United are, because they're always up and down, and you're not too sure what they're gonna do. Arsenal had the performances, but not necessarily the results to match them. Now that their performance is on the, is on the wane. We don't know what to, can the new manager figure it out. So criticism must go to him as well, Oguti. You cut your creative line. What's your what, what's your what's your game plan? It must because um, Arteta comes out and says Arsenal were unlucky against Manchester City, 
Mm. Um, they were also unlucky against uh, Leicester. There was the controversial goal that was disallowed. But ultimately, in those games, loses 1-0 to Manchester City, loses 1-0 to um, Leicester as well. And this is a problem that has persisted. You've seen it in the games that Arsenal have lost. You've seen it in the games that Arsenal have won. Case in point, when you bring up the, the game against Manchester United, Manchester United were the more terrible team mm. in that game, right? Arsenal yeah. were not terrible. They were good. They were on the front foot um, and they were positive, but they were not actually cutting like Manchester United open. It wasn't the performance you saw, given they were down a man. It wasn't the performance you saw Tottenham put across at Old Trafford, mm. you know? So he, he can't then walk away with a victory at Old Trafford and have that just mask the problems that persist because it is a problem that whatever it is that you're doing, whatever it is, whatever direction you, you're trying to have this team pull towards, it's not working in terms of when is the last time you watched Arsenal and you thought to yourself, man, Arsenal have dominated this game. Mm. Or Arsenal have, have, have had they, they foot on the throat of this team and they've just, they've just dominated. They were all over them. And like, this is a performance where at the end of the day, you can't, you, you can't, have thought that anything else was going to happen in this game other than an Arsenal victory. You don't see that, you know, mm. and that is something that he needs to sort out. What is not his fault, where I would say he he is redeemable, is the fact that he doesn't he doesn't have that he didn't get the support from the board that he needs. He didn't get our, if not our, anyone else then to play in that position. Particularly when it became clear, it became clear towards the end of last season that Uzo was not coming back into this team. We knew that Arteta knew that the board knew that. You know, that's why they went after the Leon player. But when that was an option where the door was closed, then you need to realize that you need someone in that position. And they did not provide him with that person. And it's also not his fault that um, Gabriel Martinelli is, is out injured and he's someone who might add an offensive spark. He can't do anything about that. But that, can that's I, can saying I catch something you when you want to depend on a teenager. And ask you this question that if Martinelli is fit, do you think he plays all four of them on the same pitch? All four of them with who? Lacazette, Obama Young, William and Martinelli. Do you think there's a space for the, all four of them to if play Martinelli, at the same time? If Martinelli is fit, Martinelli is supposedly coming back in December. If Martinelli is fit in the new year, Martinelli needs to be in that team. And hopefully through his exploits um, in the Europa Pepe needs to have fought his way back into the team. Lacazette and Willian. Lacazette needs to be sold in January already. I would say Willian as well, but we're not going to sell a guy after buying him six months before. So you make a profit, cut him for free. That'll be great. But no one's going to buy Willian, but as yes, I said. No one here's here's what I'm saying. You're talking a two-for-two two swap. So my question is, will, will Arteta ever have four offensive players in the same team? Because even, even when Saka's in, he's playing as a wing back as opposed to a midfield player. Yeah, I mean, Saka is a Saka is actually an, an interesting inclusion in the Arsenal team because he's very impressive. You can admit every time you watch him and you, you can see his effort and he's he's helping the team go forward. But Saka is is he's a bit of a he's something he's a bit of a throwback because especially when you see him playing on that left flank with Tierney um, bombing from, from his fullback position. It's a traditional wing It's traditional wing play. Like mm. he's a left-footed player who stays on the left side of the pitch and he wants to go to the byline and he wants to, he wants to cross the ball. He's not looking to get into the box to get a shot in for himself. So you think about all the other front threes, um, let's take in the EPL. Like at Manchester City, the guy who plays on the left is Sterling and mm. he's giving you 20-plus goals a season. 
at Liverpool, it's Mane, and he's giving you 20-plus goals um, in a season. At, at Tottenham, it's, it's Son, and he looks like he's about to do the same thing. So if you're not getting goals from... In, in modern football, you're looking to get goals from preferably the entirety of your front three, if not two of the two of the three. At mm. Arsenal, that is not the case because up to this point, Pepe has not shown, William certainly has not shown any, any goal threat. And Saka on the left is not going to give you goals, but you want him in your team. And if you're going to make that decision, then goals need to come from somewhere else. Man, I... I mean, and that's, that's a difficult thing. It's, it's, it's interesting when we talk about this particular team and its makeup and the options that, that Arteta has because Ian Wright had this quote to Guti and he said Guti's going to put it out there. Just his thoughts, his opinion, Guti. If Arteta manages United, then United are challenging based on what he's been able to do at uh, Arsenal. But that was because Arsenal had just beaten United. But now that we're unpacking everything after the Aston Villa game and we're looking into the United game and we're looking at the performance, not, not just the result, is he right? Do you think then they are probably three, four, five, six points ahead than where they are currently if Arteta's managing United? I do think so because because of the talent. Um, personally, I think if, if Arteta's managing Manchester United, he plays Pogba as a 10 or he figures out how to play him as a 10 along with um, allowing Bruno Fernandes to do the things that he wants to do on the pitch. So I do think so because the criticism like I'm I, I'm laying at Arteta's feet is not to say that he's again a terrible manager. Mm. It's to say that in the situation that Arsenal find themselves in, the fact that they are lacking goals, it is because um, he's missing players. He's, he's missing that creative force, right? Mm. But it is also on him to adjust to to that. We saw, for example, um, Brendan Rodgers. Leicester went to. Manchester City and put five past them and they started that game without Madison. They figured out a way. You know, that's what you are looking for from your top man your top managers that well, if you don't have if you don't have someone, if you don't have your, your preferred players, then what is what is the next thing? Of course you can't do it over the course of a season, but it, there's a problem at Arsenal and he's there to solve problems. Like how does he solve this problem? Having said that, if he's at if he's at United, he doesn't have the problem of talent. Maybe he'll he might have other problems. I don't know. Like that's something we would have to see play out. But I do think this is what I've told you before as well. Though, like I do think any manager who's worth his 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 weight in gold, like a, a world class manager, is challenging for the league with that United squad. So Arteta included. This is some somewhat of a random comment, but what's interesting about United and, and Arsenal right now is that I am yet to see a performance that, for instance, uh, Brighton give. Or a West Brom give. Those teams look unlucky every time they get beat. Whether they get beat 1-0, they get beaten 3-0. There's passion, there's desire, there's chances created, there's people running and dying for the shirt. But it can't be replicated in the big teams. Why do you think that that is? I mean, I understand. Like, why do the big teams have so much heart? Is it because they've got a point to prove at every single game? Or the smaller teams. Yeah, I mean, I, I, w- I, wouldn't, I would like to add Leeds, but Leeds have got Bielsa, so you understand why they, they, they can play so well. But... Brighton have been unlucky. If Brighton score all the chances that they've created in, in, in the game so far, Brighton are in the top top six easy. But they aren't. It's 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 a weird it's a weird season. Like it's a weird season. You look at the uh, like you look at the log. Leicester are on top of the log now at the international break. And then it's like what, six points that separates first to around wherever Arsenal are, because Arsenal are on twelve points. And it, like we saw this weekend, like one result. It, 
people are toppled from the top of the log and and it's all jumbled up I, I think maybe that might also be perception because we have an idea of smaller teams um and 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 when because the league is closer in terms of the gap between the big teams and small teams the smaller teams look much better than they probably are and the bigger teams may look much worse than they are because as i'm saying these teams are all closer and what is happening naturally is that the smaller teams are coming up mm-hmm. and in in terms of making up that gap and then the bigger teams are coming down in order for that deficit to become smaller so i think i think perhaps it is it is it is perception um and perception is reality um more than anything else but in terms of because we start off the show for example speaking about the problems at arsenal and pointing out that arsenal they're still in the top half of the log you know mm. given everything that has happened there is also the expectations that comes with being a big team you we do expect you to put in certain kind of performances week in week out and if you don't look like that then you have us talking about you the way we talking about you okay with with perceptions right we had everton as early contenders because <laughs> they were out there flying and now they know where to be seen southampton are up there leicester are up there but liverpool and city's position on the log do not quite reflect who they are and their capabilities and they just had a game this weekend, um, one that started at a frantic pace, was great and exciting in the first half. Second half was quite drab and dreary. But, like, performance aside, do you think those teams should worry about their current position given where they are now? Or do you think by the time we get to post-Christmas, post-New Year, the dust would have settled and everything will be back to normal? I'm worried about my pick. I'm worried about my pick to win the league, Manchester City. To be very like honest with you, to be frank with you. Because where are the dominant performance coming from? You know, I'm I'm watching the team against Liverpool. I'm watching the team against like Arsenal as well and against in, in the matches that they've played thus far, right? Mm. And they are missing Aguero, like massively missing Aguero. But the thing is, Aguero is 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 again coming back of a long layoff of injury, and he's now thirty two. Like his ability to recover from these injuries and just continue being cool, like we don't know, you know. And even if he is, if he is who he has always been, is that really, literally, is that going to be the one thing that sparks this team into like? The team we saw, like, Ghana 100 points, like, 98 points, and just put teams to the sword. I don't quite think so. To be very honest with you, Chuck, I don't quite think so. Mm. And they should be concerned. They should be concerned. I mean, that, that game between Liverpool and Manchester City, I think Liverpool will be happier with the point. Although Liverpool themselves have had an experience of being beaten 7-2 this season. When, when City lost five, I was thinking to myself, I've never seen a champion team like concede five goals and I've never seen that team then go on to win like a championship that's never looked like a team that's going to win the championship but then then what happened to Liverpool happened to Liverpool and I had to I, I, I had to and think what happened about to United again. happened to United yeah as well very honestly <laughs> as well you know mm. because now like we are still talking about Liverpool as as probably favorites for the title but what happened to them did happen to them you know they've since recovered they haven't conceded anything like um three or four goals um since then so that's that's a positive sign but i, I think they both of them should be worried about the competition 
I think with what you're saying that it's a funny season, I think that comes into play a whole lot. Because when you look at the fact that City aren't dominant, Liverpool are getting their wins, but it's not in the swashbuckling, dominant, firestorming way that they usually do. And the smaller teams are putting in a performance. I think it's, it's the fatigue. I think it's the time of the year. I think it's the number of games that have been played in a short um, period. And I think all of it is it's just a bit of a crazy hour at this moment. And maybe things will turn out well, but maybe to, to, to someone, some teams will have a shocking performance. I don't think it, some teams will recover. Are we then in line for a new champion in the EPL? We could and be. could it come from one of the teams that are not playing in Europe or in the Champions League particularly? I think it could be. It could be because I mean those teams we'd have to count Leicester, we have to count Tottenham, and then well Chelsea are in the in the Champions League, but those are the content contenders I think at, at present. Brendan Rodgers' team is looking good. Tottenham, not yet, not yet. Maybe they they will build onto something because for the first time we saw Son, we saw Kane, and we saw Bale start the match together, and they only won one 0 and so mm. that's that doesn't quite inspire a lot of confidence. Chelsea, on the other hand, players like Ziyech are coming in and they're showing their quality, but Pulisic is also getting injured at the same time. Werner, at some point, you think will kick on and get the goals that he's supposed to get. I mean, if you believe the hype, so it could be. I mean, I, I don't think out of the big six that all of them will will recover and they'll be the same big six. I think two will drop out of the big six at the end of this campaign. I don't know which two, but. The kind of season that we have, two will drop out and it will make way for the new contenders. I think without it, in my mind now, I'm thinking without, maybe not without a doubt, with mm. little doubt, I think Chelsea has serious title contenders. I don't believe that. You know why I say this? Mm. Because Chelsea are putting in these performances now, right? They're, yeah. not, they're not conceding. Well, they conceded against um, Sheffield, but mm. it was just one call. And it was... It was a lapse in concentration for the rest of the match. They weren't uh, under any kind of stress at the back. And then they they go on to score four against Sheffield. Sheffield troubled Liverpool. Um, Liverpool ultimately winning 2-1. They troubled Manchester City as well. Kyle Walker was the difference on that particular day. So I'm watching Chelsea and I'm thinking to myself, their defense looks to be sorted out. And although they are not, they're not, they're not overly impressive in terms of their style going forward. Like, I, it's it's weird. You see them score four goals, but it it doesn't really dawn on you that yeah, man, they were they were good for four goals. They could have scored six or seven on this particular day. And that for me is the scary bit, that they are doing these things without having yet full on figured out how to play together, without yet full on having the full complement of new players. In, in, in the team, gelling together and having like a number of games under their belt together. At some point, that is going to happen. At some point, you have to believe Pulisic is going to get healthy. And at some point, you have to believe that Havertz is also going to be in the team. And Havertz, Pulisic, Werner and, and, and Ziyech are going to be in the team together at the same time. And Kante looks to have found his second wind at Chelsea. And as I'm saying, they they have a goalkeeper now that they can trust. I don't quite I don't quite know actually how good he is because I haven't actually really seen him like have to save many shots. But the the facts are that since he's come into the team, the defense is miles better. So if they are this good without actually being good good yet, what happens when they improve? One name. What happens when they hit their stride? Mason Mount. 
<laughs> Mason Mount will not get dislodged out of the starting lineup. <laughs> but does he need by to? By anyone regularly. He doesn't. Does well, that need to happen for them to be serious title contenders? Currently, if you want your best team, your best players in the team to gel, then you must make way. Then you can find that formation. Then you can do without a star here and there. Once they've clicked, once they've gelled, then you can say to Mount, you can play. Because here's the thing. Mason Mount is not a bad player. I think I should state that uh, before I say anything. He's not a bad player. He's a good player. But my issue has always been that he's always come in in, in place of Zia, come in in place of Pulisic, where you think could someone with a bit more more magic than you have could have been starting or could have provided the spark for the team. But here's the thing, Jay. Nah, they haven't looked impressive. And, and, and now we're looking at, at, at the prospect or the possibility or the potential of them clicking and them gelling. And I think that's going to happen too late in the season. It's going to happen too late because for me, they're, they're not quite producing the goods yet. N'Golo Kante has been good for one game, two games at most. He's looked looked horrible Chuck, from the beginning of the season. It's going to happen too late because who would have pulled away at that point? Liverpool are still are still are still managing to get wins. Apart from them playing, are they going to pull World. away though? Is this the kind of season where a team is going to pull away from the pack? I think so because here, here's what I can say about about Liverpool. Liverpool got Van Dijk was injured, and they got Williams to 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 come in as a makeshift defender. Guys played very well. Liverpool brought in Diogo Jota, who's happened to be a revelation because Firmino's not quite uh, um, cracking it this season. Diogo Jota is filling in, in the void for goals, right? But now Klopp has found a way to play all four of those guys. Now Liverpool have a fair four again. And so of the two teams that are supposed to be the ones that we're all trying to catch up to and we're all supposed to be chasing, they are the ones who are figuring things out. Pep, without Aguero, is, hasn't found a solution in their minds. They're still winning 1-0, still not dominating games. But Liverpool, for me, still look dangerous. I mean, it's, if not for a couple of, of moments here and there, as I was watching the game, I told you, Guti, if Liverpool keep up this pace against City, they are definitely going to hurt them. They're going to score one or two more goals. It didn't happen, but they looked the more dangerous side in the first half. So for me, if they have more performances like that without being f- at full strength, if you look at, look at a, a Liverpool that's not at full strength compared to a Chelsea that's not at full strength they're miles apart but that's the point for me that Liverpool you texted me like in the middle of that game that Liverpool looked like they might actually come come away with a W from that game right yeah but it didn't happen and that's for me this is this is the the story this is the feeling around the season that no one is actually Jay, like they, 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 they might look a certain way yeah. but they're not actually doing that like it's not reflected in the league table and I don't know if it's actually going to be reflected like long term. I don't. I don't know if Liverpool are going to have like a ten point, even like a, a seven point gap consistently over the rest of the chasing pack at some point. The question is: Have Chelsea been tested? Because they played against United, did absolutely zero with the very same team that you're talking about. Did absolutely zero. United were as bad as Chelsea on that day. Chuck did absolutely zero. Liverpool uh, <laughs> have been tested by the bigger teams and have actually shown what they can perform. Maybe didn't get the result they wanted, but they performed actually well. That is true, yeah. and I'm not taking any way from anything away from Liverpool. Definitely, like up there as title contenders, and probably looking favourites. Mm-hmm. You know, the question of have Chelsea been tested? This entire <laughs> this entire league table is now the thing that has been reported about the EPL and 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 the biggest marketability about it is the fact that anyone can get it on any given Saturday or Sunday. You know, mm. this season more than any other season, that is actually proving to be true. So when when you watch Tottenham, for example, who spent some time at the top of the league this weekend, 
in a game where they were ahead 3-0 at home get pegged back 3-3 by West Ham. Then who is who is who who is the team that is testing other teams or who is the team that you are thinking you're looking at? There are no fixtures that you're looking at and you're like, wow, they should be winning that easily. So when a team is actually winning those games easily, for example, we saw what Crystal Palace did at, at like at Old Trafford. Crystal Palace then go to Stamford Bridge and they, they they were not on the same pace as Chelsea on the particular day. So I would argue and say they were tested by by by, by that opposition. No, 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 no. My man. By, by test. And maybe by, by the test, other teams I mean, don't look that good against Chelsea because maybe Chelsea are that good against them. No, but, but yeah, and they suppress whatever efforts they put in across. With all due respect, there are fixtures where you're looking and you're seeing Chelsea must get three points in Naranja. Right? And when they do, do get those three points, for me, it's not that big a test as opposed to this should be a tricky tie. And I mean, they barely won against Brighton. They barely won. They hung on against Brighton. You guys barely, you guys won after the final whistle against Brighton, the very same Brighton. My point exactly, Uti. My point exactly, Uti. They didn't perform way better than, than United on the day. That's what I'm saying, Uti. Have they played an Arsenal and then and then a City and a Liverpool and then say, Uti, okay, that team's not quite bad because against Liverpool, yeah, I will say what they got the, the the red card in the game and all that other stuff, but they weren't looking like they're gonna beat this team. It looked like they were close, but they didn't look like they want to beat Liverpool. So if you're not looking like you're gonna beat Liverpool and then you go to United and then you play the way you did. For me, you're not quite there yet. Maybe next season. So for me, I'm not. I'm not ready to add to add Liverpool there. Sorry, to add Chelsea in my head for title contenders. Tottenham, yeah, they're interesting because Son is on fire, Kane is on fire, but not really the rest of the team. That's that's the thing with them. Yeah, with Tottenham, I feel like they are they're very very dependent on like two players. Ultimately, mm. we know um, Harry Kane's injury history. And we know that it could happen at any time of the season. If he goes down at any point, that's it. Whatever talk around title um, contention is over in an instant. But if he does stay healthy, they're going to be there or there about it. Except for the fact that this is Tottenham. This <laughs> is Tottenham. Just do the Tottenham thing. The, the only thing we've ever seen on, on concerning Tottenham in the history of this league is that they come close, but ultimately, ultimately, they're going to disappoint you. And... They're going to be there, there about. They're going to be challenging for a top four spot, but I don't quite think they're going to push on for 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 the title. I said earlier um, when we were discussing Tottenham that if Bale comes in looking like seventy five percent of who he was at Tottenham first go around and who he was at Real Madrid, then there's a problem because there is they are they are challenging Liverpool and probably surpassing them because of what's happened with Firmino as the best front three in the league. But mm-hmm. Bale has not quite been that person. I don't know if that Bale is ever coming back. And we're ever going to witness him in the EPL. And if that doesn't happen, then it's too much to ask of Son and Kane to continue delivering as they've delivered because it's it, it was an unheard of pace, you know, and it's just not going to last. So, sh- shifting away slightly, um, going to United, um, Maguire said, Uguti, people are always talking about United, people are always scrutinizing United. And it might be because people are jealous because United are the biggest club in the world. But certain Megan Rapinoe does not think so because she's actually disgusted she says it's disgraceful that United have she put in used that word yeah United have put in sorry have, have formed their women's team only about two years back which is now in the Premier League the women's Premier League those are quite interesting words said by her which it's, it's disgusting that they are or disgraceful that it's only now that United have put out a team do you think there's substance to those words 
or it's just someone spewing what they feel? First of all, Harry Maguire sounds like Cristiano Ronaldo. Remember when Cristiano Ronaldo came out with that quote that people don't like him because handsome. he's handsome, <laughs> because he's got a six pack and he's rich yeah. and he's famous. And it's like, man, wow. In terms of Megan Rapinoe, mad respect for Megan Rapinoe. Megan Rapinoe is is the voice of women's football. Um, she's the face of women's football. She has amplified the fight um, that, that that is ongoing on the side of women's football to, to, to try get closer to what the men's game has. She is, I would say, the modern-day Billie Jean, Billie Jean King. Mm-hmm. And kids, for those of you who do not know who Billie Jean King is, she's the woman who essentially fought for the rights of uh, the women's players to be on par with um, the male tennis players. And you can see it in 2020, where across all Grand Slams, women champions get as much as the men. So when Megan Rapinoe speaks, you should listen. Um, When she speaks on the issues of the women's game, it is worth um, lending your ear to whatever cause she's championing at the time. And I think she has a she has a point when she is she is having a go at the English FA, um, mm. not putting in an effort. Having said that, however, I'm not quite on board with her comments um, concerning Manchester United because we're and, and 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 we were on this podcast a couple of weeks ago speaking about how the EPL teams have a responsibility to help keep the teams in the lower divisions afloat, mm. but. My angle with that was the fact that it actually directly impacts the EPL teams, what happens below them, because there is a relegation and promotion system at play. And you are part of a league, and that league is, is it goes four tiers deep, you know. But in terms of the, 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 the EPL teams forming and putting money and putting an effort behind um, women's, like uh, w- 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 the version of a women's team. Yeah. I don't quite think that is their, their responsibility. Um, I think it is the FA's responsibility to grow the game. And if they then approach these teams and there is some kind of incentive to do so, then they should do so. But up to this point, I imagine that United and any other team who hasn't had a, a, a women's team has not quite seen what is what, what is the benefit to them. And that is a bit of a crass way to think about things that, well, yeah. what, what's it to me? But in thinking about them as the organizations that they are, what what does it benefit them i think ultimately it is it is disgraceful for like fa's across the world for the amount of effort that they've put in we've seen on just over here at home um portion was 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 on tv recently speaking about that and we've spoken to her as well as mentioned before not to keep name dropping portion medisa but um that had an impact on both of us the conversation that we had with her so that's why we keep bringing it up mm-hmm. but Ultimately, um, do I think Keza Chiefs Pirates Sundowns are the ones who are supposed to push the women's game forward? No, I think it's Safa. Uh, as much as I think it's um, the English FA, as much as I think then it's UEFA, as much as I think that it's FIFA. I think it is It is an interesting point that she raises um, because she's saying, you over there, the most, popu- most popular league with the most popular teams, why don't, why don't you have a women's team? Um, because you, you get a profile, you get a following, you get... Uh, interest, publicity, fame, like no one else. Why don't you guys have a hand in women's football? You can look at that and say that's an interesting comment that she raises and maybe United should have had a team by then. But I think I agree with you because 
it's easy to point a finger at the famous ones and the established ones, but all over Europe, there are teams that are already established. If you look at your Lyons, who've been winning the Women's Champions PSG League for a long time, well. PSG, Milan have got a team. Um, I mean, even if you look uh, even further off, like in Australia, Australian women's football is, is, is quite good and, and it's got like a good following. Um, even in, 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 in America, maybe not to the level that she, she, she would want, but I mean, it's, it's hard then to say to make use of what you have, but the world is changing um, and maybe not at the pace that Ma- Megan Rapinoe has because end of the day, it's not like United don't have a team. They have a team. And he started in the first division, got promoted and got into this into the Premier League. And even some of her colleagues have then moved from uh, from America or from wherever they were playing and they joined the United's team. I think there's two of them. One of them joined Tottenham, if I'm not mistaken. And there's been a great migration of American players going into the Women's League in, in England. So, it is a spiky comment and it's worth hearing um, in terms of raising alarms and, and, and bringing focus into this particular topic. But I don't think that particular team is at fault. I don't think United were thinking, ah, well, Chelsea's got a women's team and so do Liverpool and uh, uh, Arsenal. We just won't do it. There must have been mitigating reasons, valid reasons for them not to do it. And I mean, I know I read, I read about this like when they actually did form it, nothing at the top of my head right now. But I don't think it was just for naught that United didn't have a team. Yeah, I ultimately think, um, you know what, I, I am someone who believes that those who have those who have power, those who have influence, those who hold the gold should do more for mm. those who do not have. Um, it's just the responsibility of um, society, of communities, of people to other people. And on, on some level, yes, uh, a Manchester United should come to the party. But um, when it's put on them as though they were the ones who are pushing the agenda to exclude or, or to keep the women's game where it is. I don't quite agree with that. Mm. You know, um, I don't know. FAs, uh, they may have had the agendas because we know patriarchy is a thing, you mm. know. But I don't quite think, I don't quite foresee in my head that Manchester United were sitting in boardrooms discussing um, the women's game. It's like, well, no, we don't want to do that because of this and that other reason, you know. Yeah. Rather as you're saying, that there was the, there was reasons for them not to go in that direction and there are now further better reasons for them to actually venture in that direction. I don't quite think now they've come on board um, just because, mm. like, this is what everyone else is doing, this is what we should do. But I do think they see value. And yeah. more than anything, I don't know if excoriating them for actually then coming to the party is the thing to do because when they've actually done the thing that mm. you're fighting for, is that not the time to say, well, maybe it, it took longer than I would have wanted, but kudos because they've, they're here now, you know, yeah. because they are here now. So that's that's a win. I think that's, that comes with being a rebel voice that you don't really acknowledge a lot of things, but you, your mission is to point out all the injustice in the world. That is very true. Um, so one other thing that I'm asking, you know, is it even a thing, man? <laughs> but the press seem to think so. South Africa and some South African fans. Yeah. Seem to so, think so, so the protests have announced their squad um, for the shorter formats of the incoming tour. England is coming to play some cricket. Uh, it'll be ODIs and T20s. And surprise, surprise, no AB de Villiers in the team. Is it even a thing, Jay? You know, as you say, surprise, surprise. We are surprised. That a guy who's retired. What the? Can I like? Can I repeat that he stepped away from the Proteas and retired? He said he's no longer playing international cricket, 
and yet when like an international uh, a protest team is announced he's not in the team and we are shocked i mean like and are we also going to call up Alan Donald? I think he'd he'd be amazing with his pace against the English man. team, you know. Get Polly, get Jonty, get, get Graham Smith to take off his tie and go into get the retired. field. I th- although, before you answer, putting it yeah, on you, there is the question that um, he is still actually <laughs> the best South African T20 player out there. And also, I would venture to say he's by far uh, the greatest South African limited overs cricketer, particularly if you combine ODIs and the T20s. And there's a T20 World Cup coming up next year, and we could probably use them use him in the team. Would that have justified him being in this team? Nah, not really, because the thing is with AB de Villiers, and maybe this time it's different because his name came up during the the announcement of the team. But the last time I heard AB de Villiers' name was when we were losing in the World Cup. I didn't hear his name or the possibility of a selection or his availability before the tournament started. It's when we're starting to lose that we hear what he's made himself available that he wants to play and he said this and they said that and you're not quite too sure what the, what the story is and so even back then there was no clear indication from csa guti ab is available and would like to use his services so the fact that they, they haven't chosen him for me it seems good things are as they were when ab did, decided what he's going to retire they've kept that and we keep it moving so as far as him being the best, I agree. He is still putting out like performances for, for RCB in the IPL, Namanj. Pity they were knocked out of, of the qualifiers. But it's time we moved on. I mean, we saw in the last World Cup, Uguti, our players were not up to scratch. And then we called on a new, a new crop of players. There's Varane in there. There's Van Buren in there. There's Hendricks. They, 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 we're blooding new talent. Let's, let's keep to that and see where we go. Because if we keep going to De Villiers, you know what? Maybe I just want to play T20s. I don't want to play ODIs anymore. We know he's going to do that because he's done it before. <laughs> he's, he was rationing his international schedule at some point and we just allowed it. And mm. for me, here's the thing. If A.B. de Villiers, because he is a South African, he's eligible to play for the protest. If A.B. de Villiers comes out of retirement, A.B. de Villiers needs to tell us. Yeah. Because he told us that he was retiring. And in the same way that Michael Jordan sent back um, sent a fax when he came back from baseball to basketball, just simply saying I'm back, we would need to hear that. Like A.B. De Villiers need to, needs to step in front of a camera, in front of microphones and say that I am available, whether, whether he's interviewed wherever he is in the world, because he's all over in the world as a mercenary. <laughs> he needs to say that he is available and he would love to play for the Proteus. And I'm pretty sure he'd be picked in an instant. But in a situation where we don't really know what, like where his head is at, we don't really know, is he just looking to come out of retirement for like the World Cup? Mm. And if that's the case, then the pro team management have a choice to make that do you want to take your best, yeah, your best batsman to the tournament and increase the chances of winning? If AB De Villiers finds himself on that plane in, in that tournament, I'm not going to have a problem at that point. But this back and forth and this, this yearning for AB De Villiers, like we... Man, we, we we like the exo just can't move on. I, I I just kind of feel that if he's not clear in terms of what is happening with him, mm. uh, let's just move on, as you say. Like stop sending us mixed signals, AB. Sometimes you call, sometimes you don't respond to our messages. So we are done. We need to be done. Both the the, the South African media and South African fans move on from AB De Villiers because he's moved on from us. If only Ivan Kwasi had CSA, we'd know. <laughs> we definitely would we definitely would anyway before we close off the show I saw this story on Instagram because I told you I'm on Insta <laughs> yes Chuck 
briefly and, and sporadically. Um, Chris Nickich, I think is an American athlete, became the first person to complete a triathlon. First person with Down syndrome to complete a triathlon, that is. So shout out to that. That's, oh, that's, to a, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, you can do anything, basically. That's, that's what Kipchoge was telling us when yeah. he broke two hours. And human beings are amazing. And they continue in, in, in the arena of sports. They continue to prove how amazing they are, actually. Kudos to him. For me, Jay, I'm out from this episode of Two Up Front. And this is Chuck saying to you, Guti, I told you Chiefs was not going to come back. Nisbonele, the game was dreary. I can't bring myself to talk about it. But Paganea, one way. This is Chuck. Ah, Spotify, I don't know. And Apple Podcasts is where you will find us. Two up front, out. Thank you.